My name is Tom Chick. You are listening to the Quarter to Three Movie Podcast. Dude, you've done that musical. No, I haven't. Have you? First time we've done Prodigy on the show. Uh, this is for our Red Podcast. But before we get to the movie, uh, let me tell you that you were just well, the, the person you were just listening to. I'll introduce him in a minute. First, we have with us Christian Mowalski, M- M- I think. Christian Mowalski. How long have you known me? It's Shaniqua. Shaniqua Johnson. <laughs> uh, we also have Kelly Wands. That was Kelly Wands. Kelly Wands, do you have a tagline for this week's podcast? Uh, the Red Hat Society is an official organization of women in their 50s who bond by wearing red hats. What's that from? I uh, Wikipedia. <laughs> okay. Uh, before we get to this week's movie, uh, let's do some bookkeeping real quick. Uh, this is the errata section of the podcast where those of us who tried to show off last week and said something incorrect would like to correct it. Uh, what? Who's going to go first? I'll go first. Uh, so last week we were talking about a Stone, which was about an Episcopalian man having a midlife crisis, and we were comparing it to uh, a serious man, and I made some reference to... It's far more interesting, like in a serious man, to see uh, Jews going through midlife crises than it is Protestants. And I thought I was going to be all fancy and literary, and I said something like, it's the difference between reading Philip Roth and uh, John Irving. Right. What I actually meant to say, uh, Philip Roth and John Updike, who writes those rabbit-run books about uh, uh, sort of a New England but the thing is, that's that's uh, I I was showing off and I got my the wrong John in there. Uh, How embarrassing! And John uh, Irving's pretty Protestant too, though, isn't he? Yeah, but it's not like midlife crisis stuff, you know, like white method man and prayer for Owen Meany. Like he doesn't do. He's his, less Jewish than Philip Roth. Well, but John, it's not right to me. It still okay. sounds right. All right, I think you're being silly. I'm, I'm that's the worst thing you've done. You've got to apologize. Okay, have you read John Updike? I mean, John Updike is all that. It's Protestant midlife crises. That's his whole shtick. Just like Philip Roth's shtick is, is Jewish midlife crises. Uh, yeah, but Irving's doing stuff about abortion. That's Protestant. Yeah, Cider House Rules feels very Protestant to me. Yeah, that's I think John you're, I think you're okay. ruining it now. Like, you're more right with Irving. You know? I think you guys... John Updike writes about his penis. You guys haven't read enough okay. of those Rabbit Run books. Go see the movie. There's a James Conn movie. That'll... I read Watership Down. <laughs> as far as Rabbit books. But, well, I still don't understand that title either. Okay, do you guys have any errata, anything you said uh, last week that, that, that you'd feel... I you'd never say? make mistakes, Tom. Good point. I know what Jews are. <laughs> Dingus, I know what Jews are. Well, why don't you tell us, Dingus, you know what, what like. we're, we're seeing this week? What, what are we going to talk about? Tell us what this deal is. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I had some corrections, but now I can't think of them. Rats. All right. I wish you would have front-loaded this. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. Like, I didn't yeah. know this was a new feature. He, Tom, <laughs> this is a great new feature. feature. I know. I, well, this is the first we've heard that we have this feature. <laughs> Tom just, oh, by the way, this is the... But he introduces another feature we haven't even gotten to yet that's really stupid, I think. Well, Dingus, just tell us what movie we're, we're going to be talking about this week. Uh, this, this particular week right now that we're in right now? No, tell us about what we're going to be talking about in three weeks. I will not do that. Stop it. Okay, then go for this week. This week we were talking about Red. Red is an action comedy directed by Robert Schwenke about a group of retired CIA operatives who are being targeted for termination. They get back together for one more job. They're led by Bruce Willis's Frank Moses, and this uh, this film stars Morgan Freeman, John Malkovich, Brian Cox, Colorado Ban, 
Mary Louise Parker, and cue the rower noise, Helen Mirren. Very good. Spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. So we're giving... Now, who is that new feature meant for? Well, now it's going to happen. If you're still listening, what Dingus has just told you, you could find out by watching previews. Where we go now is going to be talk for people who have seen it or who don't mind things being spoiled. Uh, so just so you know, if you care about spoilers, you might want to bail at this point. Because, Kelly Wan, why don't you break down for us in much more detail what exactly happens in this Yeah, I don't know what Dingus is talking about. I don't think we saw the same movie. I'll tell you what really happens in Red through my upcoming Red Opsis. Awesome. Rock and roll. Let's hear it. <laughs> Mr. Cut and Paste from Wikipedia synopsis over here. <clears throat> Excuse me. Okay, so Bruce Willis is a uh, retired CIA dude who has a crush on the MILF from Weeds who sends him his pension checks because she reads the same romance novels he does. And he shows his returned affection by tearing up the checks and making her look bad at her job and also by getting her put on an assassin hit list because of him and then kidnapping her and then carting her all over the country to do nothing since she has no training except Bluetooth. So some guys try to kill Bruce Willis, but he tricks them by frying some bullets in a skillet. Uh, which makes the guys he didn't kill outside think that their friends are shooting him inside. So they shoot up the whole house, including the kitchen. think their friends are, and the bullets are being fried. Uh, he did that in Afghanistan, he explained later. Uh, but he tricks them by blowing them up. And then he goes, and by going to the MILF's apartment, and by vacuuming, so they can follow him there. And uh, Dr. McCoy tries to intercept him, but uh, Bruce tricks them and the cops by knowing police radio codes and saying stuff to the dispatcher in his own voice. So the cops tackle Yeomer, even though he's a federal agent, that they don't arrest him, even though he's mixed up with an evil paramedic who just tried to kill a U.S. citizen. So Bruce visits Morgan Freeman, who's dying, so it's okay if he dies pointlessly later wearing some pointless Sesame Street moon over Paris <laughs> costume, even though he was on the electric company, not Sesame Street. <laughs> and they pick up John Malkovich, naturally, whose superpower is paranoia, and uh, they drink vodka with a Russian super trooper named Ivan. And then Bruce breaks into Langley like in Mission Impossible 1 by punching through the paper mache door frame to Ernest Borgnine's office, which Ernest Borgnine sees his arm come through, but he doesn't react to it, and he acts surprised. Bruce Willis comes then a few seconds later through the wall that the arm just burst through. And then uh, Bruce Willis fights Dr. McCoy, but doesn't kill him because we saw he has a family, even though Bruce didn't, and then later threatens them. So Dr. McCoy will be his friend. <clears throat> so then they pick up Helen Mirren, who's a mistress sniper who never hits anybody in the movie. <laughs> and uh, Ivan says he knows she loved him because one time she shot him three times in the chest as opposed to four times. And George Clooney and Brad Pitt help him knock over a casino. And uh, <laughs> they punch Richard Dreyfus in the face. Still playing uh, Cheney from W, even though he's not the vice president in this movie. But they don't kill him because suddenly they don't want to, quote, waste a bullet, i.e. too much movie left. 
<laughs> so the house is surrounded by cops and agents. So they send out Morgan Freeman to die from a shooter we never learned the identity of. And then the plan works because Morgan Freeman looks exactly like Bruce Willis through infrared sniper scopes, even if the movie's only showing us his feet in the frame for that one shot, <laughs> not through the sniper scopes. And then they go out the house the back way, which I guess wouldn't have worked if Morgan Freeman hadn't gotten shot first. And they run in the snow, but the MILF trips and she gets caught and does nothing. So they go to the vice president's banquet to kill him after Bruce Willis tips Eomer over the phone that that's what they're going to do. And the Secret Service lets Helen Mirren, a well-known sniper, into the banquet. And they've also hired a 70-year-old acid head as their busboy. And they didn't frisk him for weapons. So he can give a canister of brute to Helen Mirren. So Ivan can shriek, gas, after they squirt it everywhere. Although later on, they have all these chain guns and turrets and 88 stationed all over the place outside that the Secret Service didn't see. So then Helen Mirren gets shot, and she can't walk, so Ivan carries her through a chain-link fence so that she's not shot in different clothes a few minutes later. And they kill the vice president and Dreyfus, and Dr. McCoy says he can cover it all up, even though he's the only man found at the scene of an assassinated public figure. <laughs> and sticks, so never mind. So Bruce and the MILF declare their love, and then he and Malkovich steal a can of nuclear waste from Moldavia while the army shoots at them from ten feet away. And everyone lives happily ever after. You didn't say the end. Oh, the end. Sorry. <laughs> the end? Question mark. This card. Now, Kelly Wonder, are you familiar with the source material? Because you're... Actually, Dingus is the big comic book nerd here. Oh, yeah, that's right. Was this a hard one to do, Kelly Wand? No. It kind of lends itself to that. It was a hard one to watch. Uh, I like my synopsis better than the movie, and I didn't really like my synopsis that much. <laughs> but, um, uh, Dingus, are you familiar really, with The comic's really serious. It's like a three-issue serious assassination plot, and so they leavened it up with comedy, and, and Helen Mirren's not in it, and no one's in it. And now uh, what? Uh, okay. And red in red in the comic stands for oh you've been it stands for green lighting <laughs> for assassination. If you've been greenlit for assassination, you're red. So you're red lit, and so it doesn't refer or stand for retarded, extra dumb. <laughs> <laughs> this movie. All right, uh, Dingus, did it work for you? Uh, which part? Uh, the movie that you sat through. That, uh... Oh, the synopsis worked for me. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I quite like the synopsis. I, I think tell the synopsis... You the, um... Go ahead. No, go ahead, Tom. What about... Well, the, the, the synopsis I tend to enjoy more when I don't like the movie. Right. Yeah. Mm. So, uh... Oh, what's that mean in this instance? I, I can't imagine any of us was anything less than bored by this silly thing. Dingus, am I, am I calling it wrong? Unsurprising. Um... The first actlet with when it was just Bruce Willis talking on the phone, I really liked it and I was really excited by it. And then it just tanked so hard, and it's just like, oh, why is anybody in this movie? And, and yeah. the pe and people I love just kept showing up and just kept boring the hell out of me and and being horrible. Joe Malkovich was. Uh, but, but, it's but not his fault. 
when it's Bruce Willis frying bullets in a skillet, I was uh, happy with him talking. You know, I could watch Bruce Willis talk on the phone to um, the uh, to Mary Louise Parker girl all day long. I love that. I love that. I love Bruce Willis in that first action set piece. I loved him. And then it just tanks. So I like them as a couple, but then they keep introducing more boring characters, and the t- they're kind of the two best characters, and then you know they're they're kind of out of the movie. You know, I didn't I didn't care for them as a couple once they got together, but on the phone, that phone stuff, and him, just him, he's just got so such a great thing going on, and the, and leading up to that first action set piece, through it, when the porch disintegrates, I, I really. Loved that. I loved where it was going. It was so over the top, so weird, so crazy. I thought if you keep going this way, I'll be happy. And then it just the changed. cameo by uh, Dexter's dad seemed pretty pertinent. I don't know who that is. He's the guy that got shot by the helicopter after oh. it's James Remar. Oh yeah, right, right. Yeah, he was James Dexter's. Remar. Oh right, right, right. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Dexter's dad. Good lord. <laughs> well, because it's on Showtime, and she and then Weeds is on Showtime. So it's like. Weeds and Dexter are in the same room, but it only shoots Dexter, and Weeds gets thrown down in time. Well, I'm kind of, I'm a little, I, I am not the opposite of you, Dingus, because I, I, I just, I, I think you enjoyed it for maybe a few scenes more than me, because early on, I, <laughs> here's what I, here's the, the decision that I've come to make. First of all, from now on, when I'm watching a movie, and it opens with that either DC Comics or Marvel Comics logo. I am going to seriously consider just going into the theater next door to see what's playing. Uh, Dark Knight. Oh, good Lord. Which didn't open with it, actually, I don't think. Good. Uh, but I just, oh, God, these comic book adaptations are just freaking killing me. From, like, like Salt and the Losers and, I, I don't know, Expendables. Is that a comic? Probably. Should have been. Actually, no, I don't think it was. Okay, so losers. There you go. Uh, if I could keep one, it would be Expendables. Sadly, even though I didn't like it that much, but it's the most pure. Right. I mean, that's boring too, but I don't know. But this well, movie just... my my problem early on is that I I when I I love Bruce Willis as a beleaguered everyman. I am not so fond of him as a crack invincible assassin. Because uh, the guy's smirk is just so annoying. I mean, he just smirked his way through this movie uh, in lieu of a performance. Uh, and I liked him in The Last Die Hard when he's actually worried about getting shot and he's cowering and running away and he, he gets dirtied up and banged up a little bit. I, I like that Bruce yeah. Willis. That's this, the Invincible. This Invincible Bruce Willis I, just doesn't do anything for me. Um, and And I hated... Seen him paired with Mary Louise Parker, who was just so exuberant. I mean, I think everybody but her w- w- was pretty much just just coasting in this movie. She was the only one who I thought showed any sort of enthusiasm uh, uh, or, or excitement about what was going on. And it just didn't seem like it was fair that she was with him. I was like, what are you doing with that schlub? Uh, you know, you're the only one who shows up in this movie with any sense of, like, a performance or any energy. So I just thought it was awkward and weird seeing them together. And that last scene where they're making out in the car while everybody's looking on was just so awkward. That was just weird. Good Lord, that was <laughs> She's making out with her grandpa. You know, and the thing is, I don't think their age difference is that great, but it's just that she's so lively. And he's right. not. You know, it's, it wasn't the age difference that got me. It was the enthusiasm difference. Uh, well, is she supposed to be old, too, in the in the mythos of the movie? Is she, like, old but just young compared to them? 
Is that what they're trying to say? Because she's way too hot for that concept to fly, I think. Well, she looks better every year. You know, I think I think you have to switch if you're talking about that. I think you have to switch the woman who plays Purse Girl with her. Mm-hmm. Um, if, you know, and and the woman who plays Purse Girl is is you know not not an old woman. She's forty. She's in her forties. She's like my age, but she's she's she looks more like the sort of drone sitting in a cubicle and and right. you see those two paired together running through the jungles and eventually kissing you're not going to sort of ski that a little bit and if you see purse girl holding a if you see uh, Mary Lou Parker holding the RPG and calling uh John Malkovich old man that makes more sense <laughs> right right dude his comeback was so good oh my such good writing God, I hated that scene, too. Because that whole too. scene was so stupid on so many levels, as far as the writing, as far as their approach to how to shoot action, uh, as far as, you know, I'm sick, too, of, of people showing up uh, with RPGs. Yeah, somewhere high. Do it. Never mind. I thought you were going to say uh, people just showing up on top of, uh, like, containers somewhere. Well, that's stupid, too, but I was specifically talking about the woman uh, hefting the RPG, because uh, th- that's something you use to shoot tanks, or if you're the Mujahideen, you shoot helicopters with it. That that's like not it. And movies use it because it looks dramatic to have that big old huge like warhead, that grenade warhead thing flying at people. Uh, that's just so stupid. If you want to shoot three people, you use a gun. But if you want to make a dramatic, stupid Hollywood action sequence, then have somebody heft out one of those big old RPGs and show the warhead flying in slow motion and do a big old explosion behind. I mean, it's just so just formulaic. And I guess maybe I'm, you know, I, I shouldn't expect anything more from a throwaway comedy like this. Uh, but it just, I was so bored during that whole sequence. It was just so by the numbers. Uh, and I think you can expect more from this because I think it's, it sort of starts with, with bigger intentions or pretensions. I mean, there there's a tendency when you see that, that logo that you're talking about, that comic book logo, to sort of grade it on a curve uh, or to dismiss it altogether as you wanted to do and walk over to the next theater. Um, but with that, for me, with that first action, up to that first action set piece, where all those guys are walking across the street and just knocking out the house with their machine gun fire so that the porch collapses and no neighbors are coming out at all. Yeah. It's so over the top and ridiculous. You know, going from the, the, the fade from his eyeball to the back of the bullet in the skillet where they start popping off, it, it's just got this idea of over the top weird action that I think is going to be played out later in the film. And then there's no, it doesn't carry out at all. So I think there is sort of a bigger promise. It's not just, it's not sort of, as far as I was concerned, it's not what you just said, Tom, of, of just a throwaway action comedy. At the beginning, it feels like it's it's going to be sort of more, and then it just never it just sort of putters out. When when Malkovich shows up, it's just so sad. Did did you did that? Neighbors would have made that funnier, by the way. Actually, if you'd seen Neighbors and he just ignores them, that would have been kind of kind of, kind of funny. Sorry, Tom. But. Well, I, I mean, what would like Dingus did the did the that big drawn out set piece at the end where 
the whole goal seemed to be to get the vice president into Bruce Willis's limousine. Oh, I mean, wow. that, that, that whole I thing went on for, for so long. And by the time I, I'd forgotten Bruce Willis was in this movie at that point. And so right. then the, 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 he goes into the limo He's and driver. Oh, Bruce Willis is a driver. That's right. You were in this oh. movie. How about that? It just felt so drawn out and unimaginative. And to me, it is a crime. If somebody were to describe to me, and they were going to say, Tom, you're going to watch this, you know, this 20-minute action sequence. And in the course of these 20 minutes, Helen Mirren will have on an awesome, sleek, white evening gown mm-hmm. and combat boots. And she will be manning a mounted 50 caliber machine gun shooting yeah. at the vice president of the United States of America. That's what Suck they in the, Exactly. That will be awesome. How can that be bad on any, in any level? Exactly. You have a heart of stone if that's not good for you. <laughs> but none of that worked for me. Like, Dingus, did any of that work for you? Like, did you, did you feel better? Like that? Uh, oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. No blood. If she'd been shooting... If she, if Helen Mirren had been like cutting people to ribbons with that gun, I would have given it an extra half squirt, as, which is now how I measure movies. By the way, I've decided to introduce a rating system. That's my. Uh, sorry, I didn't mention it before the podcast. It's okay. We got all kinds of new things going. It's like your apologies to uh, the Protestants. So. But Dingus did that. Like when when you talk about it, sort of like all that felt to me that so that so, that so typifies how it really was just a throwaway dull action thing that just had no excitement to it. Um, like, did you feel that way about any of that long sequence near the end? Uh, unfortunately, no, because before that, there were two and a half key moments where the film took a turn for the ugly for me, where 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 it, it made such a turn that I, that I could no longer enjoy it. Okay, and yes, what they are, Tom. <laughs> Go ahead. I think you could probably pick up on at least one of them. I mean, it's it's so, that, that was so inconsequential. I'm, I'm guessing that the bit about threatening Aomer's kids is from the comic. Like, that did seem like something from a darker movie. Is that what you're talking about? I'm not convinced Aomer's in the comic, even, from what I read. But no, that can't be it. Dingus wouldn't fall for that. <laughs> no, no, I'd never fall for a mindless threatening of someone's children by the protagonist ah. of the movie. That would never affect me in that. But way. he didn't mean bluffing. it, Dingus. He's bluffing. He didn't mean He's it. Bluffing. We it's know. Like, uh, we know Luke that good hearted. Three PO and R two D two to Jabba the Hutt. He's just kidding. Yeah. Old tricks to get his lightsaber. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that was that was such a just a shallow ploy. I mean that. This whole thing, like it, was, it was shallow and disgusting. It was just—it's just disgusting for me to see our our well, who's supposed to be our hero in that shot, that quintessential shot of him in the house on the phone and the kids playing out out through the window with with the mother, and and it was it was clearly filmed and uh, musicked in such a way as to as to seem ominous, and and it was trying to manipulate us, and. And I thought th- this is disgusting. It was just disgusting. I, I, don't I was find trying to manipulate us to what? To feel what? Like to the like it, dread. Well, like well, that would happen. Had, well, we had a cu- we had a couple of moments where, uh, and and around that same time, Sarah is being told, "You don't know what this man has done. You don't you know what he's done." And there's and no payoff to that at all. He never does anything. Well, no, it's not, and so it's 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 a mindless threatening of a man's family and a man's children, and it's and it's been set up in a in a moment that was 
that I, I felt foreshadowed it because I, you know, I've gotten to the point where I don't find torture amusing. And so the whole blowtorch. <laughs> what about jackass? You, you, you drive this, I, I don't, I just don't find it funny. And but you say that you, you got to a point, like was there ever a point where you did find it amusing? Why? Cause he's old and fat. What if he was young? <laughs> Muscle <laughs> soft. <laughs> Saw movies, I could I could find it whimsical. Uh, and I, you know, you're right, Tom. It, I've never found torture amusing, but um, but over the the political landscape of the last decade or so, it's it's gotten to be more and more realistically grim. So that when I see I'm not going to pass it off as amusing. And this film tries to make it amusing. Right. And it's just, you know, maybe there was a moment, maybe when, when Fletch could have held those pliers up, and, <laughs> and that was funny. But but Morgan Freeman, even in his electric company Sesame Street outfit, it, it, all it does for me is, I'm not going to say it's it's utterly offensive to me, but it, it tones down the movie for me. Right. You're taking me out of the movie. Right. And when you threaten children a little later, that takes me out of the movie again. And then when you furthermore make a, make some sort of threat about uh, I'm going to be killing the vice president and I'm the hero of this film, that that sort of is the is the triptych for me. I mean, that's the that's the third thing. I'm done. I'm just done. And if you have a, a huge action set piece at the end, I'm pretty much really done with your movie. But Dingus, the vice president was was uh, was a jerk. He was a jerk. Yeah, and so was Dreyfus. They they would do, they were worse than Bruce Willis because they told him what to do. Right. So it's okay to threaten to torture Richard Dreyfus and to assassinate the vice president. I'll give you the kids, but I'm not going to let you have the other ones. Sorry. Yeah. You know, uh, threatening the the president is, was actually something that um, that Salt did better. That's true. Um, yes. You know, <laughs> Uh, By the way, they understood uh, a, a, a man and a woman sort of kidnapping and, and, and drugging each other. Yeah. yeah, drugging better. And Salt understood that better, even though I didn't really care for Salt. I mean, this film I didn't understand anything about how to how to carry its tone forward and not to lose its way. I want to. I want to. I do want to. I, I, by the way, Dingus, I completely agree. One of the problems with this film is it's trying to be all lighthearted and funny, and it just doesn't really know how to do that. A or B. The director maintain any consistency in, in that regard. Uh, I do want to point out real quick, though, the last funny torture scene that I saw. This could be a three by three, actually. Uh, did you guys see that that uh, that Punisher with Thomas Jane? No. Yes. So in it, yeah. at one point, he's torturing. It's just a thug that he's captured, and he's got him. Popsicle. Think like, right, right. Go ahead. <laughs> you can no, take it. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I blurted it. Well, he's got the guy hanging upside down, and he's, he's, holding a, he's brandishing a blowtorch. And he's saying to the guy, you know, I'm going to torture you with this unless you tell me where John Travolta is, I think. That's what he wants to know, because John Travolta's the bad guy. So he walks around behind the guy. Uh, with the blowtorch, and he's, I think he's sucking a popsicle the whole time, and the guy can't see what he's doing, and so Thomas Jane puts down the blowtorch and instead pokes him with a popsicle, which if you've ever been poked with a popsicle and didn't know it was coming, you could misconstrue that for, for being burned. Uh, mm-hmm. So I thought that was a really funny... Uh, that's the last time torture was funny to me. Uh, <laughs> if you've ever been poked with a popsicle, which is one of my favorite kids' books, I think. Uh, I think the last time I laughed at a torture scene, and this is sort of a crucial difference, was is when the uh, protagonist is being tortured, and that's and he's making light of it, and that was in I think Casino Royale. <laughs> what was the deal uh, with that torture? You just like whack somebody in the in well, the gonads it's from the book. Yeah. 
Yeah, he's sitting on a chair without a, a bottom, and, and, he, and he's basically just, you know, he's sort of making, he's being glib, even though he's in pain. He's saying, you know, is that the best you can do sort of thing. And that's, if the if the protagonist is the one being tortured, and, and he's making light of it, and you know he's basically an invincible character, it's it's a little easier to take, but if right. the protagonist's doing it and it's for and it's for comic value, given where we've come from in the last decade, I can't I can't go with you. I just can't. Kelly, one tell us about the torture from a comic book or not? I just can't. Kelly, one tell and us about the torture scene in The Expendables, which I actually was one of my favorite parts of that movie. Oh, uh, waterboarding. Yeah. Yeah. They waterboard the girl. That's right. they, and that shows that they're the real villains. The villains do right. it. It's waterboarding and it's against a girl, which is like. Just like the lowest of the low. Uh, yeah. It, oh, they don't waterboard a baby. <laughs> Good point, Dingus. That's right. It could have been worse. They're soft core. <laughs> Who's your daddy? <laughs> well, and she, they, they apparently do it for days or weeks before Stallone gets there to rescue her. So she's been water. She's been tortured for days, probably, because he's getting there in that slow ass plane. Ah, right. Yeah, you know that. That's and the Expendables not... has a little more rules than fucking Red, as I call it. <laughs> So Red, by the way, reminded me of The Whole Nine Yards, except with Mary Louise Parker instead of Matthew Perry. <laughs> I don't know if you guys saw The Whole nice. Nine Yards. But that, uh, I thought you were going to say I saw piece. part of The Whole Nine Yards. I saw four and a half yards of it. I don't, I don't Does Matthew Perry uh, walk into a glass door really fast? And the, um, he does all sorts of wacky shenanigans. Yeah. Uh, I wonder if Bruce the girl... ever thought The Whole Nine Yards would be too good. In the fifth element, he has that long list of he's the badass too, but he's also a cabbie, Tom. So he's like the under, the everyman, the underman, <laughs> uh, the mole yeah. man. And by the way, in *Live and Let Die*, the book, uh, Bond gets his uh, finger broken. So in the books, there's a lot of torture. So you should like it. Okay, yeah. well, I'll, I'll read that as soon as I'm done reading that book. You're supposed to loan me, which uh, I don't see happening. Uh, okay, let's talk about Helen Mirren. What the heck is going on that she, I, I mean, I was just so excited that she was going to be in this, and it's, oh, cool, she's this yeah. like, super, super assassin, and what, why did, what went wrong there? What the heck? They fooled us. They did it again. And this director sucks, and it could have been good. This is the guy who gave us Time Traveler's Wife. Oh, which Dingus loved. Dingus, you were a big fan of that, I understand. He's a TTW apologist. Okay, well, if he's not going to deny it, then we'll we'll have to. Uh, I, I'm sorry. My my connection dropped when you mentioned that movie. You know, if if I had known that this was the director, I didn't know that Robert Chulanky was the guy who directed that film. Uh, otherwise, would I would I would have so objected because <laughs> I that was one of the worst films of last year. I hated that so yeah. much. Dingus, can you draw any points of continuity between Time Traveler's Wife and Red? Uh, the wrong people were naked. Um, <laughs> was anybody no... naked in red? Uh, exactly. <laughs> He's the new Chris Columbus. Everything feels wrong, like tonally, like just worse than a sitcom. And Time Traveler's Wife is completely bereft of rules, or or at least a, com- a communication or an understanding. Yeah, it was just up in a park. Uh, and and you you as an audience never feel like you're being taken care of, like you're in somebody you're you're in good hands, and 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 as an audience you want to either feel like you're in good hands and you can trust the filmmakers, or that they're purposely making you feel like you're dangling. 
and that that's part of the point. You never want to feel like it's clumsy. And I was constantly getting the feeling late in this game that that we were just in clumsy hands. When when Helen Mirren yeah. is behind that stack of wood uh, outside of the mansion in the in the in the snow, and there's FBI agents all around, but they can't see her. And they're supposed to be in a hole, according to the lines, but they're not in a hole. And there's nobody coming from behind them. And it's just this ridiculous, clunky, clumsy scene with the two girls. If you, if you break his heart, I'll kill you. Ugh. It was so clumsy. Dingus. More meaningless threats. Dingus. Gooey. Gooey. Oh, yes, that's right. I'm gooey inside. <laughs> <laughs> gooey. I, and that's, 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 I mean, that... Not as gooey as when, the, when When Brian Cox of the Sean Connery Russian language school shows up <laughs> in his limousine. You just felt this sense of, you know, you, you can't get away with they're clumsy because they're old for, for that long. And it's just, it was it's just not because so they're old. Clumsy. Old and direct- to, to use Helen Mirren this way, he's my age. The director's only in his forties, but he's got his head up his ass. <laughs> He doesn't need to be old to suck. I think it's gooey. Gooey. Yes, I, I forgot I'm gooey on the inside. <laughs> it was just so weird seeing her say that. I, that's the thing, too, is when she's, when they're out in that sniper hole, I'm like, okay, we've got, you know, screw those old guys who are just showing up for the paycheck. Here's Mary Louise Parker and Helen Miram. This yeah. is going to be awesome. Let's what could go. go wrong? Yeah, what, what, give, them some, give them some serviceable dialogue. These women finally were in capable hands. Go. Exactly, Kelly Wan. Suck proof. And good lord, just if you hurt him, I'll kill you. Oh my god, that was so stupid. I believe it. At one point, she says uh, to Bruce Willis, or actually, who she says? Oh no, she says I think to Mary Louise Parker. She says, "In all the years I've known Francis, I've never seen him like this." Uh, but he's I, not like yeah. anything. He's like nothing. He's doing yeah. nothing at all. He's also the same as we've seen Bruce Willis in every movie. Yeah, exactly. Like, just deadpan, knock knock, who's there? <laughs> Cop out. <laughs> We've seen him like this for decades. What over and talking? over and over. Yeah, no. he's always this guy. What is she saying? <laughs> that is a good point. <laughs> Dingus, do, do some of Brian Cox's accent for us, Dingus. <laughs> you Poruski. <laughs> that was John Connery, I could tell. And another yeah, scene where there's like, oh, they're not really bad people, is where he's drinking with Ivan, and he goes, oh, you killed my cousin. He goes, no, he's at a 7-Eleven or something. And he's fat. He's, he's 500. Fat. He weighs 500 <laughs> pounds. Right. <laughs> so the good guys never do anything. It's all these meaningless, uh, fake, cop-out, soft-core threats, and they don't really kill anybody. It's all good. Actually, so Kelly Wan, nobody gets shot? Except for Morgan no, Freeman? <laughs> right. Not by Helen Mirren. And I, at the end, I can't tell who shot who. So maybe Helen Mirren got in a shot at the end. But since he directs action so ineptly, Mr. <laughs> Schwenke, I don't know what happens at the end of this movie. I don't know who shot uh, Dreyfus. Well, isn't it? You, tell, isn't, you watch that scene again and you tell me who shoots it's Rebecca Pigeon. Like, she's the one who sniped Morgan Freeman. And I she's know. the one. Isn't she set up as the really bad guy, I think? Yeah, but who shoots her? He, uh, okay, wait, wait, wait. I know who shoots She her. shoots herself. No, 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 no. Uh, Aimer shoots her. He says, ah, fuck you, Claudia. Right. He shoots her. Right, right. Okay. And he can cover that up. But anyway. Um, right, of course. <laughs> but who shoots Dreyfus and who shoots the vice president? 
if anybody. And who does Malkovich shoot at the end and then uh, someone off screen? And oh, then well, Malkovich. Goes, okay, you happy now? Did Malkovich he sh- shoots <laughs> Dreyfus's corpse. Oh, right, right. Oh, which they don't he wanted shoot. to shoot him so bad, but they couldn't afford a bullet then. But now we've got more bullets, and so we can afford a bullet now. Can we get pancakes? <laughs> uh, that was the money line. Oh, right now, before. If you're going right, to cut away from this this scene with Morgan Freeman, where he says, "Oh, so so this is oh my God, yeah, his assassination." <laughs> and then you're going to go back to it, and all it is is he has a hit silencer. That's it. Not not just that. Because he turns around with the gun. Like, okay. see. <laughs> We didn't know he was going to do that. Yeah. Even though he was, None he, we saw what his hands were doing. Skills. I mean, the the, yeah. the ability seems to be I can hide guns in flowers is their main abilities. You know, for yeah, for a we're getting the band back together movie, these guys weren't much of a band. Uh, Maybe they were covering for the Expendables. They were a cover band, tribute band. Kelly, one <laughs> who would who would win in a fight between the Reds? <laughs> The Expendables and the Losers. And what was that other uh, Losers movie we saw with Idris Elba? What was that one? That was Losers. Oh, A-Team. That's right. Who would win in a fight between the A-Team, the Reds... The one you love, incidentally. It's better than any of these other things, yeah. No, it's not. Oh, please. A-Team is way better than Red, the Losers, and the Expendables, I would say. And I'll be genius with joining on that. Oh, you're crazy. That's crazy talk. No way. Yeah, Drago's good. Like you, t- like you said, Draga, or uh, the Russian, <laughs> Ivan. <laughs> oh, 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 yeah. Uh, the name is Ivan Drago. Right, right. Why, uh, yeah, and Mr. T's not in it. He's not in the A team. But there's a guy. It looks like him. They're all very confusing. I, I, yeah, it really is very confusing. I, I will. I'm, I'm happy to say though, in another week's time, I will have completely forgotten about this movie. This this yeah. movie is only the second best movie called Red, starring Brian Cox, that I've seen in the last, I don't know, ten years. Oh, nicely done. Yeah. He's in the dog one? He's in the dog one. And, of course, there's the Christoph Kierslavsky Red, which is better than this one. And then there's Reds with uh, Warren Beatty, which I haven't seen, but I'm sure it's better than this. Uh, No, it's not. It's <laughs> okay. At least this one was shorter. Uh it's Chivago, but they don't die separately. Spoiler alert. Mm, thanks for ruining that for me. You're never gonna see. I'm saving you three hours of wretchedness. Thank you. They hug. So what else has this? So this guy did Time Traveler's Wife. What else has he done? Uh, he did something else. Right. Think I know that it's, else. it's from the guys who did an adaptation of a comic book movie. Uh, called Whiteout. They did the script for Whiteout. Now, they did something else. I forget what. Uh, but I kind of liked Whiteout. Whiteout was okay. Hey, you know what? Doesn't... I only say that because this was so terrible. Uh, Whiteout. White Plan. He did oh, fall. God. Ouch. Oh. White Plan is so horrible. So he's said... shown a real proclivity for misusing great actors. Yeah. Ouch. This so guy... that's, his talent. that's his superpower. <laughs> Very nice, Dingus. Wow. <laughs> can you... White Plan... Can you... Take Peter Sarsgaard and Morgan Freeman and really mess up Freeman. Freeman. Freeman land. All right. German, huh? Yeah. See, that's what it is. Germans can't do American movies. They can only do, uh, what was that, Hanukkah? 
Uh, funny games? Which, you know, I got no, to, I, I showed up for this film uh, last night. Uh, not, not the last show, but fairly late. And there was this huge line leading out to the the two main theaters that I was going to see it in, the two big screens. And I was thinking, oh, good. Well, there's a lot of people going to see Red, which is, I was nervous that nobody would see it because it's a bunch of old people and, you know, people don't want to see that. And I, and I, and I walked through and, and I walked straight into my theater and I realized that the long line was for Jackass 3D. Mm-hmm. And and the Jackass 3D line was running all the way out straight past the ticket booth, and I was just you know thinking I you know in this sort of pretentious me voice I weep for the future. All these people are going to see Jackass 3D, but I am going to see Red. And, Same premise. And I, I can't really say that I got a better experience. I didn't see Jackass 3D, but I don't know. This was crap. But it's old people doing real stunts instead of fake stunts. Like pretending to punch Richard Dreyfus. Like, wouldn't you pay to see Richard Dreyfus genuinely punched by Johnny? <laughs> <laughs> no. Genuinely eaten by piranha at this point. Yeah. Uh, Schwenke's next movie is R.I.P.D. about undead cops based on another comic book. Oh my God! You you made that up. That can't be true. No. R.I.P.D. Yeah. Oh, see what get it. Which so he's doing another R movie. <laughs> At least he's got more letters in that one. Ryan Reynolds, who now also is R, is his name. Is there anything you fellows liked about this? Tom, I like the premise. You... So, I, so I'm I'm kind of disappointed. I, I again that whole thing with Helen Mirren in the combat boots on the mounted gun. Like how can you go wrong with that? Or even just like shots of her, like when they're in the kitchen and at one point. John Malkovich hands her like a submachine gun, and she slaps a clip into it, and she does this thing where she's supposed to, I don't know how guns work, but you, I don't know, you cock arm and there's a lever action or something, where she hits it with the palm of her hand, like you see badass dudes doing with their guns, and you can tell someone just told her to do it. Like she, it, she didn't seem practiced with it. It, it just wasn't effective. And I, I think a good director would have said, let's make Helen Mirren look really sexy and cool just smacking that gun like that. And this guy didn't do it, and I'm mad that he didn't, because that's, that's an easy sell. Like Kelly says, suck-proof. Just make sure she looks fluid, slapping the lever action on that submachine gun, or even just running in the snow. There's a shot of her and Mary Louise Parker abandoning their hole, and Helen Mirren is, like, running like a girl. And, I, you know, in a, in a real movie, that would be fine, but if, if you're going to have her play a comic book assassin, have her run like Angelina Jolie or something, or, you, you know, CG that, or I, I don't know what. Um, so the, the premise I really would have liked to have seen, you know, these old, these, these fantastic actors playing old retired assassins and spies getting back together again. Uh, so, you know what, I liked the premise, but, man, the director didn't seem to understand it, and he couldn't do it justice, and that, uh, it's just such a shame. So that's, that's what I liked. Kelly Wand, what did you like? Uh... Moldavia, because it reminded me of Dynasty. Dynasty takes place in Moldavia? Oh, the Moldavian Massacre, remember? <laughs> you just didn't watch Dynasty that season? Not a, I don't even know what that is. Uh-huh. Oh, dude. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll Netflix. We're the same age. I'll, I'll Netflix Dynasty. Dingus, what did you like? Well, I'll, I'll get to what I liked in just a quick second, but what you just mentioned made me think of something. It, her running around in the snow, I had the exact same thought. She's running like a girl. And all of a, th- all of a sudden I thought, you know, instead of her in that 
that beautiful, well-appointed house. Uh, how about switching characters between her and Malkovich and having her be the one who's paranoid and living <laughs> underground mm-hmm. and having him be the one in this well-appointed house who uh, everything is just so and she's the dirty one and, and doing all the dirty work and, and, and teaching her how to do it so that she seems like, while well, she has this wonderful accent and she carries this baggage of who she is as playing the queen, we get this, this sort of ah, yes. of of her like you know, knocking dudes out and handing people guns and just being sort of grim and running at somebody with, with a with a, a vest of ridiculous dynamite. I mean, do something interesting. Yeah. You know what? Yeah, I would have loved to have seen her in that scene. <laughs> the dynamite. Or have her still be the queen. But everything else is the same. Okay, you know what? I take it back. I did like just for the the stupid sound effect of it and and just the the comic bookness. It was like a cartoon. I loved John Malkovich running, yelling with the, the dynamite vest. I mean, a lot of his lines that were supposed to be funny, I mean, these moments that you know the director loved these, like taking the woman aside saying, can we kill her? She has a camera in her bag. You, you know, you know the director thought, oh, that's yeah. really funny, um, which I didn't know. like Washington. Yeah, all that stuff. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, that's a hoot. Like, none of that really worked for me. But John Malkovich, the fact that they cap that long, bloated action sequence with John Malkovich basically you know, corralling the president down the far end of an alley into the, the limo or the vice president with a dynamite vest. I thought that was funny. So I'll give him points for that. I like the soon Morgan Freeman uh, looked at the nurse's butt. One, two, three, not only you and me, got one eighty to three, when I'm going between them. <laughs> oh, we just recorded two hours and 17 minutes. Now we did. Yeah, yeah, that's how long it was. Uh, <laughs> and that's so how long good. it felt. Uh, CinemaSpy.com called it witty, stylish, and largely cliche-free. Just FYI. All right. <laughs> largely. Yeah, largely. Let's do a three-by-three. Three. Dingus, what do you got for us? It's your three-by-three three this week kind of excited what, what is right, this is um films that are that you that other people think are so so that you also think are so so these are your top three prison slash jail cell moments all right and i get to go first because i'm going to scoop you guys uh last jail cell what he said last jail cell moments? Don't think so. I think he said top three prison or jail cell moments. Yeah. Hmm. All right, since I'm introducing next week's 3 by 3 I get to go first. My number three, the little film called The Watchmen. Uh, and in The Watchmen, uh, I love the fact that, that Jackie Earl Haley playing Rorschach. And by the way, I, I, everything I said about comic book movies before when we were talking about Red does not apply to Watchmen. I think Watchmen might be my favorite comic because I didn't know the comic books. So I liked Watchmen quite a bit. Uh, and in Watchmen, oh, holy cow, Tom, this is a great idea. I didn't even. Well, damn. What? Sorry. Go ahead. Oh, uh, so in 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 the Watchmen, uh, Jackie Earl Haley is this great character who is behind a mask most of the time. Uh, and when when he finally gets arrested and thrown in prison, and, and it's such a non-conventional arc for a comic book movie, which is one of the things I loved about it. So he gets arrested, he gets thrown in prison, and they take his mask away. So we're sitting there looking at his face, which because it's Jackie Earl Haley, is so. I, I mean, he 
man, he just made that movie for me. Uh, mm -hmm. And so the fact that we're finally looking at this guy's face after seeing him in action, after hearing so much about him, he's thrown in prison and there's this great moment where uh, he throws hot grease on another convict who's trying to shank him. And he's got this, uh, I imagine it's famous from the comic book, but everybody knows this line. He screams out to the rest of the inmates while the guards are dragging him away. You don't understand. I'm not locked in here with you. You're locked in here with me. He screams that, and then he gets carried away, and he gets locked into a cell. Now, because this is a specific moment, I'm talking about later on, He's locked in his cell, and a criminal who's wanting to get revenge on him is trying to get into the cell to kill him. And there's this great gag where the, the criminal is a, is a dwarf, a midget, I don't know, he's a little guy. Uh, and he's Racist. Got, he's, and he's got two big old bodyguards with him, and they're going to cut into the cell and presumably kill Jackie Earl Haley. But the, Jackie Earl Haley is so uh, unimpressed by them, and he's so ready for them to get in there so he can kill them rather than they can kill him. He's so unafraid. What should be the guy cornered in prison who's about to be killed, you know, the prison's erupted in a riot. It, he just carries that scene so well of, yeah, come in here. I can't wait till you guys get in here, and then I'm going to kill you. Uh, and there's some great dynamics uh, with them facing off around the bars. He does this great gag where he lures one of the guys to, to lunge in at him, and then he ties up his hands so that they have to use the saw that they're going to use to cut the bars. They have to cut the guy's hands off instead. And Kelly Wand, like you're talking about R-rated, the Watchman actually lets us see the guy gets his arms cut off. Yeah. I mean, it, it follows through with all this grim stuff. Um, mm -hmm. So I just love that how that takes the dynamics of being protected inside a prison cell or being cornered and just flips it on its head because of how good Jackie Earl Haley is in that movie. So that's my number three. Uh, I almost picked that one. Yep, I beat you to it. You can't. And that's have why that. I picked it. I was going to say all that. <laughs> the cell is not the prison. Never mind. That is such a great choice. I I didn't even think of it, and and I can just I just when you're talking about it, it just runs in my head. Ah, oh, it's great. Damn. Well, and there's also this great. It's such a trademark Zack Snyder moment, and people don't like Zack Snyder. Some people don't, and that's cool. But I I love the guy. I love what he does. And uh, you know, I I do too. Let me. And all huh? I could think of as I wrote my notes about Red is if only. Yep, yep, exactly. Yep. Somebody who's energetic and who appreciates material like he does. And so so there's a moment also and this is kind of He's a visionary. The there's there's that side tracking moment where it's slow motion fighting down a corridor. You know, there's a bunch of this in 300. The camera's moving. It's it's sort of tracking along the action. Um and it's where I forget their names, Night Owl and Silk Spectre. It's it's Patrick uh Wilson and What's the girl's name? Everybody hated this girl in this movie. I, I, I thought she was great. What's her name, Kelly Wand, the actress's name? Uh, Malin Ackerman? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I love that chick in this. So they've gotten back into their outfits, and they're doing superhero stuff again, and they're going in to get Rorschach out. And so it's them doing a slow-motion fight down a corridor, sort of rediscovering the thrill of being a superhero. And it's, The it's, band's back together. Exactly. There's a band back together movie for you. Yeah. And, and Zack Snyder shoots it tracking along from inside the cells so you see the fight scene through the bars, uh, which I just, I love that scene. Um, it's like when Aragorn and Legolas and Gimli got together and beat up the uh, Theoden guys in that other movie. Like, <laughs> Why did they beat up the Theoden guys? They like the Theoden guys. <laughs> no, no, his guards, when Wormtongue was in charge. Oh, oh right, when you <laughs> possessed Theoden. Okay. <laughs> Whatever, Tom. I don't know. I'm not a nerd. Possessed. Whatever. 
All right, well, Kelly Warren, you did not pick Watchmen for your number three. What did you pick for your number three? Uh, my number three, I went with Edmund. Did you see Edmund? Oh, <laughs> wow. Oh, racist. Huh. Which that was a movie, what? too. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it was, it was a movie. movie. Come on. Yeah, uh, why, why did you <laughs> explain the moment to us, Kelly Wand? And, and how does well, it apply to your life? <laughs> I've lived it. Who hasn't? It's, it's like a Protestant versus Jew thing. Oh. All right, tell us what Edmund is, and how does, it, how does it find its way to this particular prison cell scene? Uh, Edmund is a guy in a David Mamet movie, so you know he's going to get jacked somehow. And uh, he has issues. I forget what he... I think in the play, but not the movie, he sees a fortune teller. Maybe he's in the movie, too. I I might be wrong. I always miss the beginning. I can't imagine that's not in the movie. I don't remember that happening. So a woman, is it it because she's a woman? There's something... He has issues with women and with black people. Mm Mm-hmm. And with gay people. So at the end, so he goes around all night trying, he decides to break up with his wife. And she's all, what? And then he goes out, he tries to get a, goes to a peep show, he goes to a hooker, but they all charge too much. So he um, gets Julia Stiles as a waitress, but then she gets offended by his rantings. So he, he kills her with a knife when he's yelling at her. So he gets caught later by a church. This is kind of like one of those synopses, huh, guys? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's basically about a, a, a man who hates women, who's murdered a woman, thrown into a prison cell, and now explain to us this prison cell scene, Kelly Wand. Well, then a uh, black dude comes in, and he makes this speech. And he's, he beat the crap out of a black dude earlier in the movie for... Uh, Ripping him off at three-card Monty, I think? No, wait. Those guys, they, he gets mad over them cheating him at three-card Monty, and then he beats up a guy who tries to rob him or your cat. <laughs> and then the black guy says, if you think uh, women are fast, try ice. <laughs> <laughs> well, where, where Kelly Wan refuses to go is that basically Edmund ends up with the lead character, who's deeply racist and misogynistic being, I, I presume... Uh, availed of the comforts of prison rape by a large black inmate who's in the cell with Well, he gives a speech to the guy about how, you know what, whites and blacks can live together. It's, uh, you know, we, we, we have more in common than you think. And he, he goes on for a long, long time, and the guy mm-hmm. just nods at him. And at the end, he goes, yeah, I think it's time you get on my body. And then, uh, so he gets sodomized, and he goes to see the priests or the chaplain. And that guy goes, yeah, it happens. And then the last scene, which is actually the scene I'm talking about, is it's like years later and he and Edmund's bald and he's got a beard and he's in the cell with the black guy and they just speculate that dogs are aliens and then he goes and the black guy's like yeah I think you're onto something and then they kiss each other on the lips and go to bed together right right which is the perfect arc <laughs> he eventually finds Literally. solace and yeah right yeah. so uh, that's my yeah, favorite scene so, um, yeah because it reminds me of my early days with Tom. She's <laughs> a Pete. Uh, Kelly Wand, who directed the adaptation? Anyone of uh, note? I think Schwenke did. How dare you? All right. It was a guy named Stuart somebody or other. Copeland? Stuart Copeland. Yeah, good point. 
All right, that's a good one, Kelly Wand. Very good. Although I don't think of it as a movie because I knew it as a play beforehand, so you only get half a point. How do you feel? Oh, you know who directed it? Stuart Gordon, the guy who directed Reanimator. Oh, Is that man. true? Yeah. How about that? Wow. Gordon and Robot Jocks, which is sort of a precursor to <laughs> Well, Stuart Gordon did a lot of... That's that's not surprising, because Stuart Gordon comes from experimental Chicago theater, and I believe yeah, Chicago no. theater David is David Mamet's background yeah. as well. So, very good, Kelly Wand. Good find. All right. Dingus, what is your number three? You've got a couple of tough acts to follow. What do you got for us? And by the way, Dingus, before you go into yours, what the heck were you thinking with this topic? What do you mean? We'll find what, ins- out. what inspired it? Uh, I guess yeah, we'll find out. Okay. His number one is you, the number one is the reveal. The number one of the creator. Well, the, uh, what inspired the topic was watching, and this this happens. This is one of the things that happens. That you know, I have a number of topics sort of on deck, and then either something you fellows have said in one of your topics, or the movie that we're watching inspires something. And watching Stone, there was one minor little prison cell moment for a, for a movie that is so, uh, that whose one of his main characters is in prison all the time, there's very little cell time we get, and there's one cell scene, one little moment that really made me feel like, you know, there's, there's so much going on in a prison cell, and, um, and it just sort of triggered me. It just sort of tripped my brain to start thinking of, of those those moments that that sort of, you know, and what a, what a prison cell means, what it what it reveals about character, and and the and the things I've seen over the years in prison cells that that sort of picked yeah. my imagination. I thought you were acquitted for that one. <laughs> well, I'm a hard. She said, man. You said I'm she looked hard. seventeen. All right. Well, okay. Where? What? Okay. Nothing. See, Dingus, uh, so Kelly Wand hit me with a, hey, we're in a gay relationship joke. He hit you with a... Uh, a Statutory rape joke. Ex- exactly. So I think I got the better end of the deal on this one. So. Yeah, well, I guess she likes Tom the would rather, Yeah, exactly. Tom would rather have a, an adult penis in his mouth than a Jew. Never mind. <laughs> Man, oh. I, I just, I'm, I'm a sucker for uh, a sucker. So anyway. All right, here we go. I'm going to do this. You guys ready for this? One, two, three, not only you and... There, you got like a, a palate cleanser right there. <laughs> the nurse's butt. Get it? Tom did it. Palate <laughs> <laughs> cleanser. All right, dig it quick. Edward Norton has to yell about wanting to be rehabilitated. And it's just a very, he's just sort of filmed through the bars. And there's so many scenes in prison cells that, that reveal character and that just sort of right. got my mind running. Well, one uh, of the tricky things here, Dingus, is like, like a lot of prison or jail scenes are in the visitor center, like over the glass. So, like, you specifically mentioned the cell. So I, I will bet you guys dollars to donuts, you know, there will be a thread in the, the movie section of quarter to three. Everybody's going to be in there posting, you know, like the Midnight Express scene, you know, where the woman comes and visits him. Like, people think of that visiting room stuff. You know, the town has a scene between Ben Affleck and Chris Cooper where he goes to visit his father in prison, and it's all, all that stuff that's through the glass. Uh, so one of the tough things was... You know, what are the scenes that actually go back into the cell? Um, right. Mm. All right, Dingus, so what's your number three? Hurry before Kelly Wan says something inappropriate. Well, uh, unfortunately for me, uh, you guys have, have gotten a couple of, of good ones that are really sort of working toward the darker. And, you know, Tom started with sort of almost comically dark, and then Kelly went dark, and mine's just comical. Um, Racist. So my first one is is 
is my most lighthearted one. And uh, <laughs> and neither of you will know, so I'm not going to bother with Princess that, Leia in Star Wars. It's Princess Leia, yeah. And and it's her, and she's not going to lie about Alderaan. Okay, Only he could be so bold. Uh, it's uh, from a 1985 film called Silverado. And, oh, uh, I almost picked this one, too. Damn it. And this is uh, one of my favorite character moments and one of my favorite actor moments, too, uh, because this is uh, back when Kevin Costner was an actual actor and when I was really <laughs> excited about him. And, and this is always Tom's reaction. What you just heard is always Tom's reaction to this, because my contention is that that at this point in Kevin Costner's career, he could have become uh, uh and forgive me for how I pronounced it, he could have become Toshiro Mifune. I mean, he, he had this weird sort of uh, freedom about him in Silverado. He was just wild and weird and exciting. And, and you see it uh, a couple times in this movie, but you see it in this little jail cell scene where uh, his brother, Emmett, uh, played by Scott Glenn, comes in to see him. And, and, and it's the, the night before his execution. It's the night before Kevin Costner is about to be ex- executed. And, he, and he's in this little uh, western town jail cell. So, so he's in a, in a jail house, but he's in a cage that's, been, that the, that's, that's installed inside this jail house. It's, it's a cage. Like, like you would imagine, like a hamster cage or something. <laughs> and so through the scene, when Scott Glenn is in there, his older brother saying, why are you here? He's been led in here by, by the, the sheriff, I think is John Cleese, to, to say, well, why are you here? Well, what's happened? And, and Kevin Costner is saying, well, you know, I, I was just you know, doing this and doing that, and I, I just winged some guy, and, and, and Scott Glenn says, you're in here for winging a guy. But, but the point is that, that Kevin Costner is climbing around the cell like an ape, basically. Mm-hmm. He climbs up, up the front bars, and, they're, and instead of like, like you imagine jail cell bars, they're little squares. And he climbs up, and, and he hangs from them on top, and he sort of swings, and he's very free. He's just such a free actor at this point. And it was so exciting to watch him do this, and it's so revealing of what this younger brother character is. He just expects his brothers to come and spring him. But at this point, they're, they're pretty much saying, you killed the guy, and you're, you're going to be killed tomorrow. And sorry, there's nothing we can do for you. And, and the, the extra bonus is that when, when they enter the room, and I, and I know Tom will like this, if, if nothing else about this, John, John Cleese um, uses proper grammar. Yeah. So, there you go. What proper also, grammar? Costner. Uh, he says, uh, now I want everyone to behave himself. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> those English, those English sure do know how to talk. They really do. Uh, it's just it's just a great little moment of being in a cell in a revealing character, and and that's what I really like about these. This is the lighthearted one that I had a couple like little lighthearted ones that were going to be this, and then this is the one that 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 stayed. What? Uh, why are you being so mean to Kevin Costner when he was awesome in that movie where he's flirting with Joan Allen? What was that? Uh, where her husband ditches her and he's the sports guy who's flirting with her. What the heck is the name of that movie? Someone help Tim me. Cut. It's no. the upside of anger. And yes, yes, yes. Yeah, he's, he's fantastic. He he sort of uh, he gets his groove back in that. But yeah. for a while, he was very much you know I have a brother, I have a brother. If he comes again, I will call him two socks. He's, it's very boring Forrest Gump talk that he does, that where he becomes a star and he and he can't really flex his muscles. But if you watch Silverado, which is uh, 
a really wonderful movie, but uh, you know, two and a half hours. It's really long, much much longer than it needs to be. Um, he's just got this great freedom about him, where he's just wild, and uh, it's very exciting to see him do it. And that jail cell mm-hmm. is sort of indicative of what he's doing. Okay, Kelly, one. Well, go ahead, Kelly. Scene right after that where he and Kevin Klein are comparing notes on why they're both in there. Because <laughs> Kevin gets put in jail because the guy had his hat that smelled his hat earlier. And he's all, I shot first. And Kevin Costner's like, that's exactly what I said. And then he's like, he's going under the bunk and like sticking his hand out to see if the shadow shows. It's like this direction because they get out because he's under his coat, remember? Yeah. Is this a Kevin Reynolds movie? No, it's no, a Kevin. Oh, Kasdan's oh, yeah. one awesome direction, directorial effort. Yeah, he wrote it too. Awesome. And Costner's actually the best in Silverado. Although I like Kevin Klein a lot in it. He's Kelly, wonder what's the best Kevin Costner movie that has naked Gene Triplehorn? <laughs> Waterworld, very good. And The Firm. <laughs> <laughs> All right, my number two uh, is actually kind of the same as my number one. Um, and these are movies that end in a jail or prison cell where the character has some sort of imaginary revelation. Uh, I'm sure you guys have never seen my number one, probably never even heard of it. But uh, my number two is uh, The Man Who Wasn't There, which all ends up with Billy Bob Thornton in prison awaiting his execution. And on the night before his execution, uh, it turns out that the movie is basically him writing an article for a, a dime store magazine uh, about him being a murderer on death row. Uh, and in the night before his execution, he dreams, presumably, um, that the bars are open and that he walks out into the courtyard and he opens the door and he sees a UFO. And his reaction, he just kind of nods like, yeah, of course that's it. And then he turns around, he goes back into his prison cell and he waits his execution the next morning. Uh, and it's just so absurd. Um, Man Who Wasn't There really is is one of those Coen Brothers movies that I, I think a lot of people don't really care for. But for me, it sums up so well their existential approach and stuff like what they did in, in A Serious Man. Uh, it's such a great precursor to that. It's real stylized, though. Uh, I love that movie. Uh, and I love that it ends with this absurd UFO vision that... that just means nothing. Uh, and with Billy Bob Thornton nodding, like, yeah, of course, that's it. There would be UFOs. Uh, the human condition is ridiculous, and now I'm going to go die. Uh, so that's Wait, my... who doesn't like that movie? Who are you talking about? I like it. I don't know. Don't you think, like, it's, it's weird and slow, yeah. and black and white, and it doesn't make a lot of, you know, it ends with a UFO. It doesn't make a lot of sense. And all of the, like, I, I was rewatching that scene. But it's a good noir movie, so any fan of noir would like it. It is a good noir movie, yep. As just far as like, uh, yeah, like the, the the patsy in a big scheme, you know, who's undone yeah. by the scheme. Uh, but that that last uh, the last scene of Tony Shalhoub as his lawyer, the courtroom scene with with Billy Bob Thornton's voiceover, it is so. I mean, it's all of this stuff about an ordinary man and. Uh, it's stuff that could apply to a serious man as far as like the lesson of a human the the existential dilemma you know the human condition Uh, and it's just so like the fact that a noir movie comes to that uh, I just love that about it Um, and yeah I think it's just too weird for some people you know some people just want Raising Arizona they're dumb that's me I I didn't get it the first (laughs) I didn't get it either you know and I think Tom is trying to bait me (laughs) 
Uh, <laughs> it usually works. <laughs> yeah, it did, and it did right now. A man who wasn't there didn't work for me. Uh, but I've only seen it the time I saw it in the theater. And I thought a man was, who didn't work for you. Yeah, it didn't work for me. I thought it was uneven, and it, and it freaked me out. And it might have been Scarlett Johansson. She's, she just what? she weirded me out. Now, although what? now that Tom mentions the UFO, I think about the hubcap. Because the, the car wreck, it just, I don't know, it just felt jarring to me. There's a lot of jarring yes. weird stuff in there. Yeah, yeah but, but well, it jarred me. Well, it jarred me out of the film, and that doesn't often happen with their films. Hmm. Uh, I, and uh, there are things I liked about it. Uh, like, mm-hmm. uh, there are some lines I liked in and just I like the idea of the noir, but but overall, I just didn't. I felt it was so uneven that it, it didn't work for me, and I I can't really defend that now because I only saw it the one time. Dingus, let me throw this at you. It has a fantastic and underappreciated, and slightly showy, Richard Jenkins performance. What do you think of that? I think that's amazing because I don't even remember him <laughs> from that. He plays, uh, I think he's a lawyer, but there's a scene where he's supposed to be drunk giving, giving Billy Bob Thornton advice, and he's just doing this this sort of drunk old man thing so well. Like, he just does drunk so well in that scene. Uh, so, all right. It's Ed Wood directing Chandler. Oh, Kelly Wand. That's oh, beautiful. That's nice. Okay, well, you just made me like it. Thanks, Tom. <sighs> that's beautiful, Kelly Damn it. I wanted to be a holdout. <laughs> All right, Kelly Wand. Well, that that sums it up. Uh, all right, what's your number two? I thought you were next. Or jail? That, that was mine. Man who wasn't there. Oh, God, that was seems like forever ago. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a pass? Maybe. Oh, by the way, everything in the man who wasn't there. As far as the history of dry cleaning is concerned, is accurate historically. Aha, uh-huh, good. So it's a documentary, you're saying? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. It started out with uh, gay people and blackmail. Okay, my number two is uh, I will do a quote from. All right. That's there's some grammar for you. John Cleese can't touch. Uh, <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> excuse me. Sometimes. Nothing can be a real cool hand. Hmm. Cool hand, Luke. Ah, you're so smart. <laughs> he only ate the healthy part, by the way. <laughs> I think uh, that's way too inside, first of all. And second of all, right. very good. Very good. Very nice. <laughs> all right, that's Kelly Wan. I liked what Dingus just did. I did, too. But you have to have seen Stone to understand it. And we're yeah. the only three people who've seen Stone in the yeah. United States. So. Thanks to us saying it wasn't good. So we ruined Dingus' joke. <laughs> Everyone go see Stone so you know what Dingus just did. You oh, you made my joke. It was only for you, too, goofball. No. <laughs> Wait, what movie are you it's talking about? It's too good about? a joke for that. All right, Kelly, wanted to explain to us your number two. And which scene, by the way? Well, because, see, I was I thought it might get disqualified because the whole, it's not really a cell, but, I mean, they don't have cells. It's just one, they're in that shack with all the beds and the whole thing's like one room. Mm. But it's technically a cell because they're locked in it at night. They just all live in one big cell. You accept this? Or do I have to come up, do I have to just say Watchmen for my number two? <laughs> uh, you have to pick a scene, though. Is it is it uh, is it George Kennedy doing the whole, uh, I'm going to betray you? thing, the whole Judas thing. I don't remember that part. Um, Doesn't George Kennedy betray him at the end? No. Like, do a Judas thing? Am I thinking of a different Paul Newman movie? What's the one where he plays pool? <laughs> That's no, uh, the hustler. Is, is George Kennedy in Cool Hand Luke? Yes. 
but he, he doesn't tram. Doesn't he go and doesn't he lead the cops into a barn or something? No, he maybe try, he attacks. Uh, he they're in a church. They think of, of well, mice and men. I think it's your, you know nothing. <laughs> go ahead, Kelly Wand. And uh, the cops have tracked them, and he comes in to warn him. He goes, "Ah, we're we're screwed." The, I guess he did lead him, but he didn't mean to. And I think they're going to find him anyway, because they always find him. Because Luke doesn't try too hard to get away, ever. Um, he's kind of like Woody Allen. And is that the one that opens with him cutting the tops off of parking meters? Yeah. Yep. Epic. Iconic. Who directed that? Is that is that Robert Schwenke? Stuart Rosenberg. Stuart Rosenberg? Who's that? Wasn't he, like, executed for treason? <laughs> no. Yeah, was that... Well, this was his wife, Ethel? No? The movie is a pay-in to... The injustice of being executed for spying. Ah. No, really, is it uh, the director's a guy named Stuart Rosenberg, really? Yeah, he also directed Amityville Horror, so you can see the themes linking those two. And Naked Damned, and Pope of Greenwich Village. Ah, okay. So there's that. Little uh, Eric Roberts getting his thumb cut off. Everybody loves that movie. And The Hustler is where Paul Newman gets his thumbs broken. Ha, very good. And in how many of his movies is Margot Kidder nude? That's some kind of hero <laughs> and looker. Although that's actually Susan Day, our generation's Mario Kidder. Did this Rosenberg fellow really do looker? No. Oh, okay. Um, okay, I don't know. I'm right. I'm gullible. Uh, all right, cool hand Luke. Number two, no cell phone. Oh, I'm talking walk. about the egg scene. I should be clear on that. All right. How many does he eat? He eats 50. Okay. And then George Kennedy goes, why don't you just say 35? And he's like, 50 seems like a nice round number. <laughs> and then at the end, it's like he has to eat him in an hour, and it's like the last second, and they think, he goes, oh, they all think he didn't swallow it, that he did. And so George Kennedy's better. There's a debate about George Kennedy peeling the eggs beforehand. They think that's like kind of shady because they've all been against him. Keeps adding these stipulations. But see, that's what's... Memorable to me about the scene is, and the sequence is like, it's all in a jail cell and all this awesome shit's going on in a jail cell. Like, no one's going to eat 50 eggs out in any place in the world and it's not going to be recorded anywhere. It's just in this one Florida swamp jail. Except for in Jackass 3D. I think that's one of the things they do. Oh, Bam Margera, your favorite, uh... <laughs> I don't know skaters, sorry. Your favorite Englishman? <laughs> All right, good. Cool hand, Luke. Uh, Dingus, are you going to accept that, by the way? Does Kelly Wan lose points for something that doesn't technically take place in a prison cell? Uh, he loses a point for that, but he gains a point for having an actual moment. So I'll accept it. All right. I'm surprised Tom's seen that movie because it's not French. I watched he, it with French subtitles, by the way. So. He doesn't usually watch black and white films. <laughs> Except man who wasn't there. <laughs> I think it's what is your number two? Uh, my number two, I'm going to follow Kelly's, uh, Kelly's lead and give you guys a quote, because Kelly always does that, and I want to get in on that. <laughs> All right. I'm going to get this from the quote, too, I bet. Ready? All right, ready? Yep. Put all hope out of your mind and masturbate as little as possible. It drains the strength. What? Oh, is that, that your quote? <laughs> That's my, oh, sorry. No, I was just trying to tell you. No, he was telling me what to, what to do as I talk for the next ten minutes. <laughs> I don't know. I have not seen what? this movie, whatever it is. But I. Who says that line, Dingus? But I am masturbating. The Oddly. warden for the uh, the solitary confinement wing or reclusion, 
area. Is it Silence of the Lambs? It is not. Uh, good guess. Birdman of Alcatraz? Mmm. Black nope. and white. No. Disqualified. Man, who would Earth say that? Nation. Zapped. Oh, can I... I think I actually kind of know. Does he Does he have an accent? Deer Hunter. He is, yes, he does. Is it Hunger? It is not. No, right. Uh, you know what? I give up because I'm afraid I'm going to... Uh, yeah. I give up, Dingus. It's uh, a film called Papillon. Oh! Papillon. I'm sorry, Papillon. Good good point. It's called Schmetterlink, if you're from Germany. Uh, it's a 1973 film called Papillon by uh, Franklin Schaefer. Or Schaffner, rather. I'm going to say Schaffner instead. Racist. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's... Hmm... It's one of the early. It, I'm, so, I'm wow. sorry. I'm trying to find a way to. That's not it. like you. I apologize. That's like me. Dingus, have you even seen it? I've never seen this movie, but I remember hearing about it on a postcard. No, the 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 image the 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 moment. And the reason I used the word moment when I was talking about it is partly attributable to this film, and, and that's just the the uh, that image of somebody. Uh, doing push-ups in jail cell. And um, I remember seeing this movie uh, at some point when I was a, a kid, at, at some point, like in, on TV or something, I don't know. Um, and and that, that image of somebody sort of trying to keep his sanity by doing push-ups or, or working out in a small, solitary confinement. And and watching it again and watching what Steve McQueen is actually doing and what's going on with the sort of the deconstruction of a human being. And and that moment, the, the moment where he's doing push-ups and and as he's he believes, you know, he's going to he's going to be fine. He's saying to himself, uh, I'm going to be fine. I'm going to be fine. I'm going to be fine. And and for for me, sort of. In my imagination, imagining going to prison, imagining being in solitary confinement, I imagine I have the mental resources to be able to handle that. Yeah, I, I could handle solitary confinement for whatever time. I've got a great imagination. I could do anything. I, I could do that. That's no problem. And and watching him being uh, broken down as a human being in these scenes, but in specifically in this moment as he's doing push-ups, and and this is the, this is that that moment, that quintessential moment for me, of a, of a man in a prison cell working out after he's measured his prison cell and he's worked it out. Just just Steve McQueen doing push-ups in Papillon. Isn't that set... I don't think I've ever seen that. Isn't that set like in French Guyana or something? Isn't it some overseas, like, hellhole of a prison? Or I'm not thinking of something else. Maybe yeah, I'm thinking of... Think of Midnight Express. Oh, that's Turkey. Racist. You're absolutely right, Tom. Uh, yeah, that's uh, that's absolutely it, and it's, uh, and it's uh, based on a novel by uh, Henri. I'm not going to. I don't know. Racist <laughs> <his last> name. <laughs> Henri Chaillier, um, oh. <laughs> who is talking about his what happened to him uh, and his his experience doing that and and or or being put in this penal colony and <laughs> surviving. <laughs> And so, and, and it's it's not a very, I don't know if it's, it's if it's a very good movie. It's you know, it doesn't yeah, it's awesome. 
Well, well, Dustin Hoffman's kind of annoying with his glasses to me. Um, <laughs> he's supposed to be. That's his character. I, I, I know he's, he's supposed to be. And there's, and there's, it's very French, even though it's not at all in French at all. But, but them sort of chasing a crocodile at one point, and there's, there's this weird sort of absurdity about it. And some of it really works for me, and some of it doesn't. But, but the a lot of those 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 sell and and one of the thing one of the reasons I'm I'm willing to be lenient with with Kelly Wand on Cool Hand Luke is that a lot of the opening is is these prisoners in in one big big sort of open air dormitory kind of prison idea and and as I watched it I, I was sort of thinking are we ever going to get to a prison cell I don't I didn't really remember much about Papillon I just wanted to watch it again and this was a good excuse too and then we got to that that time where you know, the first the first time you escape, you get two years of solitary confinement, and they will break you. Ouch! That's yeah, r- that's harsh. And and when you're in the yard for before your two years, you have the warden saying, "Just abandon all hope, and don't masturbate because it takes away your strength." And that's the that's the thing that this prison warden says to you, and then you're in there for two years. Steve McQueen and gets put in solitary for two years in Papillon. That's the first time. That's the first time, and then for five years, the next time. What? It's it's just it's an amazing deconstruction of a human being. How long is he in there in the prison? Because he's an old man when he gets off. Well, it's 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 really difficult to tell the the lapse of time because because of how the years work on them in those conditions, and and so I I I was sort of sitting there afterwards, sort of thinking, how many years was this? And I didn't really get it. Um, it doesn't but say. It, I'm sure it does, but I didn't write it down. Uh, just so that, what did he? What did he actually do? Well, uh, he uh, he was uh, he was. I don't remember. Accused of killing a pimp, which he said he, he which he never, which he said he didn't do. So he was an innocent man for all intents. Well, although no, no, that's not that's not true. He he doesn't claim to be innocent. He just claims to be that he didn't do the crime he was put in jail for, right. and he was put in jail for killing a pimp. And and what he's he, there's this weird sort of dream hallucination sequence where he he sort of feels like he's he's actually in there for wasting his life. Hmm. See. Existential. Uh, I, I remember thinking when I saw Papillon that the way he finally gets off the island, I remember thinking, dude, why didn't you just do that before instead of the other <laughs> dumb things you did? Because that, like, you just, like, goes, oh, wait, we can use, I can use these as flotation devices and swim away, right? Well, by, by then he's, he's on a different island. Oh. All right. Thanks. Thanks for the spoiler. You're welcome. <laughs> All right, so what I did. Okay, but it was it was really it was really wonderful to watch it again, and just to just to watch that the sequence, the two year, the the point the point I'm talking about takes place in that first two years, and watching that whole two year sequence, which which is what I would include if I were including something larger, uh, is is really fascinating. Even even if it's with Steve Steve McQueen, which he he doesn't really do it for me. Um, because it it often feels like he's playing at something to me. Um, but it's it's a fascinating sort of for me look at at how somebody who thinks he's strong gets broken down. You would think he would know to bring uh, a baseball in with him and just yeah, throw it against the wall. Been, that would have been wise. That would have made it so much easier for him. <laughs> America's favorite captive. 
Very nice, Kelly Warren. You have to say that with an exclamation point behind it. <laughs> Tom Cruise is our favorite runner because he's always running. Yeah, okay. Thanks for ruining your. <laughs> All right, right, well, good. Who's who's number one? I'm up for my number one. My number one is a movie directed by, uh, I assume written by, this could have been from a novel, I'm not sure, directed by a fellow named Michael Tolkien, who is mostly famous for having uh, written a script for The Player. And he has nothing, he's not related to, it's not that kind of Tolkien. Uh, He did the script for uh, Robert Altman's The Player. Um, And there's a movie, I don't know what year it's from, uh, in the 90s or something. There's a movie with Mimi Rogers called The Rapture. Mm-hmm. The Rapture is about Mimi Rogers as this uh, hedonistic, uh, I think she's like a Hollywood housewife type. And uh, she's just having a grand old time, just having sex and doing whatever. And uh, at some point, she gets religion. And the movie is this exploration of what would happen if God didn't at the last minute say to Abraham when he took his son up to Mount, uh, what mountain did he get? Anyway, God says to Abraham, hey, go sacrifice your son for me. And Abraham's like, okay, I'll do it. And then at the last minute, God says, okay, never mind. You're cool. I've tested your faith. Just kidding. Just JK. JK. So what would happen if God didn't do that? And the rapture is an exploration of this with Mimi Rogers. What would happen if God didn't at the last minute say, okay, you're good. You passed the test. And what I think and that ends the world right after that. Well, what I think what happens in the rapture is that the person is, of course, arrested and imprisoned for killing her child, uh, and goes crazy in prison, and imagines that yes, indeed, the rapture has come around and it's the end of time, uh, and that, that's what happens in the movie is that it's, it's a prison scene where Mimi Rogers thinks that the rapture is indeed happening, but I'm convinced, and I think it's deliberately ambiguous that she is, in fact, just insane and, and dealing with her guilt and processing it by imagining an apocalypse. Um, I didn't take that as that. I thought it was the rapture. You thought that what happened at the end of the movie was the, the literal yeah. representation of what was happening. Okay. The bars actually fell off, and she goes out, and she's in limbo forever. Right. Well, she chooses... Right, right, exactly. She chooses to be punished for her crime rather than forgiven. Um, because insane people don't have thematically perfect conclusions to their... Like, they just giggle in a corner with their drool, Tom. They don't have awesome third-act structure. What if you're in the insane person's head and the insane person... The reality is, yes, she's just closed up in prison and she's a a ravening... uh, She's gone insane. Uh, But but inside her head, uh, yes, the universe does have order and this is the end of times and this is God sort of processing everything according to plan. Um, well, maybe she snapped before that and she didn't kill her kid. That's right. Her, everything after the credits could be in her head, could be mm-hmm. imagined. Yes. You didn't even watch it. <laughs> That's imaginary. This could, this could be a LARPing weekend. Dingus, <laughs> <laughs> have you seen The Rapture? Uh, yes, I have. It's been a few years, but yeah. Are you a big Mimi Rapture I like fan? It. I'm not, uh, but I'm a big Rapture fan. It's an interesting movie, I think. What's better, the Blondie song or the Michael Tolkien movie? No, I did. I did see it when I was sort of coming out of my really more adamant Christian phase. When ah, I, you were offended. No, I was not offended, but I was <laughs> curious. I was curious about what it had to say about the Rapture because I I come from people who believe in the Rapture as an actual thing, not as 
you know, when I when I first mentioned this, I think to you, Tom, you, you, I think you said nobody believes that anymore. Um, but there are people who really believe in that, and, and I at one point believed in that. And, and when I came out of that, I was curious about this movie that purported to sort of be about that. And it was fascinating to me for for that reason. And I, I like Mimi Rogers anyways. Thought she was hot. I, I said nobody believes in the rapture anymore. It, you, what you everybody? You said that Christine she, O'Donnell. Yeah, you said that all. You know, uh, nobody really believes that. I think is what you. Well, said. nobody credible is probably what I meant. That was the subtext of what I was saying. I'm assuming. Tons of. Let me let me look oh. at the transcript of it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, so Dingus, you have to then settle the bet. I think it's in her head. Kelly Wan thinks that the rapture literally happens at the end of the movie. You have to be the tiebreaker here, Dingus. What's it going to be? Uh, I think that uh, it's all in Sybil Shepherd's head. <laughs> okay. Uh, isn't Mimi Rogers naked in the rapture several times, by the way? Oh, yeah. All right. I didn't remember. Uh, Kelly Wan, what is your number one movie set or scene set in a jail or prison cell? I will do a quote. Okay. <clears throat> for example, a decapitated head can continue to see for approximately 20 seconds. So when I have one that's gawking, I always hold it up so that it can see its body. It's a little extra I throw in for no added charge. I must admit it makes me chuckle every time. Life is fun. Reanimator. Oh. It does have a the in it. <laughs> So you're half right. Dingus, can you guess this one? I don't, I'm going to have to turn it over to Dingus. I have no idea. Oh, I thought he saw all the serial killer movies. I don't know who I'm talking to. I guess the <laughs> listeners. Um, uh, Henry, Portrait of a Serial Killer. I'll just run down the list. Dahmer. Am I, am I warm yet? Do I have it? Uh, Silence of the Lambs. I give up. What, have I gotten it? Should I keep going? Oh, uh, Yeah. This is fun for everyone. <laughs> JK, uh, I'll give you a hint. It's the second best Exorcist movie. <laughs> that is a serial killer movie, isn't it? Yeah, because right. the Pazuzu is a serial killer, but also a demon. He's he's moonlighting. Who's talking about cutting off his? Is that a Pazuzu quote from Exorcist it's, 3? Uh, it's Billy Bibbit. Uh, Slash Father Karras, he's imprisoned. I have to set up Exorcist 3. Uh, I wasn't expecting this. Uh, did you guys see Exorcist 3? Oh, yeah, yeah. Everybody knows that famous nurse killing scene. Right. Yeah. Well, that's not the part I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what's, that, what's that name you keep saying? Pazuzu? Yeah, Pazuzu. The demon's name. James Earl Jones, yeah. Um, we what, Dingus? To Richard Burton. <laughs> dingus, it's not funny. It's not funny, Dingus. It's scary. Yeah. I'm going as Pazuzu this Halloween. Don't laugh. <laughs> yeah. Dingus, you don't know how scary Locust can be. <laughs> you don't know how scary Louise Fletcher can be. So. Yeah. And that machine that TikToks. That's right. That's right. Hypnotizes Linda Blair. Pazuzu. You don't know how scary Repossessed can be. But anyway... Uh, Go ahead. Yeah, so George C. Scott, it's George C. Scott, a cop. This is after the exorcism has failed, actually. So they have to call in a cop with a gun to clean up. <laughs> and so it's him. It's old George C. Scott, like super fat and like pissed off. George C. Scott, my favorite kind of George C. Scott. <laughs> versus Billy Bibbit, 
uh, as a serial killer who's possessed Father Karras from the first exorcist. And he's in a jail cell, so it's demon powers like make throwing George C. Scott against walls and making it hard for him to shoot, but eventually he shoots the devil, a.k.a. Pazuzu. And isn't that William Peter Blatty himself? Didn't he direct that? Did he yeah, he did. Yeah. So the set was haunted. It was like poltergeist. Because lighting equipment fell mysteriously, and a stuntman got charcoal burns when he wow. was making toast or something. That'll happen. All right. The craft services table. And Pazuzu, right. I think it, Pazuzu did it. The table that was haunted, because a lot of tables are haunted. <laughs> okay. Yeah, Pazuzu. Uh, was that based on his novel Legion? Because I remember yes. reading that. I did, too. It was a good book, huh? Yeah, it was actually a pretty good book. Yeah, um, yeah, it's vaguely based on it. Okay. It's good. Kelly Wan, yeah. when you describe that scene, it makes me think of Christopher Lee and uh, Gandalf fighting in the Two Towers. <laughs> right, because there's levitation. Oh, oh telekinesis. You know what? That, and that's kind of a prison scene, too. I might have just scooped Dingus' number one. I thought he did his number one already. No, no, I think it's only given a Silverado and Papillon. Oh, I think it was Two Towers, the Fighting Wizards, and the the in what was that place called? Not in, in, no rats. What's it called? It was, it was when Obi Wan was imprisoned in Attack of the Clones. Count Dooku asked him to join him. <laughs> I think it's what's your number one? What, what is Isengard? Isengard. That's or the thing. Yeah, racist. Good lord. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, my number one does not take place in Isengard. Right. Did you have anything else you wanted to say about uh, Legion, Kelly Wand? Not really. I didn't even want to say that. <laughs> okay, good. All right, my number one is another Steve McQueen movie, actually. Yeah, but that Steve McQueen. Uh, Steve McQueen. We already ruined it. Uh, Tom ruined it. Tom's fixing to. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I think I've Tom's, ruined both of them. Well, I, okay, go ahead, Dingus. Tom's a ruination you, fixer. You potentially ru- ruined any Steve McQueen prison <laughs> movies I could have. <laughs> but isn't there, didn't we see something recently with a uh, Steve McQueen's grandson or something in it? Yeah, oh, he played Chief right. Hansen. No, no, no. What did we, we totally saw a movie with Steve McQueen's grandson. Is that true? That kid was Steve McQueen Ken? Oh, yeah. you're right. You're right. The you unfortunately named Steve McQueen. Yeah. All right, so Dingus, but that's not it. It's not Piranha 3D. It's either one or two movies that I've already ruined, so sorry about that. So take it away. <laughs> that's quite all right. No, it is not, it is not uh, The Great Escape. It is indeed Hunger, which you, which you talked about before. And I was so looking forward to doing an, uh, an Irish accent, but now I won't do that. Well, th- let's hear uh, it. I mean, you've worked on it, obviously. I'm not going to do it. Forget let's it. hear. Let's just hear the middle third of Hunger. Can you do both parts? <laughs> I'm not going to do any of it. <laughs> Wait, isn't that Susan Sarandon, David Bowie? <laughs> is it the lesbian kiss from Hunger Dingus? Is that the scene you're talking about? David I, feel so, I feel so imprisoned by that. It's amazing. <laughs> Has it put your soul in a dungeon? <laughs> and Cincinnati Kitty was imprisoned in Anne Margaret's vagina. Wow. All right. Uh, Kelly Wan, have you seen Hunger, by the way, the, the Irish no, movie? No, I don't That's see it. movies without the in the title. All right. So, Dingus, why don't you explain this movie and then specifically which part? Because I certainly thought about this one, uh, but I'm glad you picked it instead. Well, I got uh, I got I landed on this one late in the game because I, I looked at a bunch of different movies and none of them really worked for me. Um, but Hunger, which 
Uh, okay, it's a 2008 film, and it's directed by a fellow named Steve McQueen, who is not the Steve McQueen I talked about earlier, but a different Steve McQueen. Uh, and it's on uh, Instant Watch on Netflix, and you should see it. Although, it's a tough film to watch, and I've got good friends who have uh, seen it and couldn't stand to watch it. Or they, they liked it and they couldn't stand to watch it again. I can, because the performances are so freaking incredible. And it takes... Uh, it takes place in Ireland during something called the Dirty Protest, which is, uh, or the No Wash Protest, which is a, a five-year um, protest during the Troubles, um, wherein the uh, uh, wherein prisoners were trying to to basically get uh, prisoners held. Uh, we're trying we're trying to get the uh, the ability to say that their crimes were political crimes, and and, and so that murder was not murder, but a war crime almost or, or a political crime so that so that they would have political stance that they would have stance as a, as a political entity and they had no they had no way of of standing forth they had no say for themselves so their their protest was to basically not wash not wear clothes and to coat their cells with their feces um and it's a and the first it's it's very much a film in three acts and I don't want to I don't want to say too much about it because it's such a fantastic film to watch unfold especially from the point of view of somebody who understands and enjoys watching theatrical performances and by theatrical I don't mean large uh, I just mean uh, really good performances that you would see in a theater and think man I would never see this in a film uh, but the 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 specific moment, and and maybe I'll let Tom talk a little bit about more about this, but but the the specific moment is is when, uh, you know, I kind of thought about the 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 scene where the, where uh, he first gets in the cell and they talk, but it's really where where um, where the guy comes to clean the cell and he and he takes back his mask and he looks at the artwork on the wall and then he starts to power wash the walls because. For me, watching this film the first time through, I wasn't understanding what the hell was going on. And at that moment, that that's in this film, which is fairly late as far as sort of if you consider a three-act structure, uh, fairly late in the first act to get the film, but that's what I consider my getting it moment, where the, where the guy takes back his mask, sees the artwork on the wall, and then starts to power wash it, and then we work, then we transition into the second act eventually. And uh, this moment was just really powerful for me on a number of levels. And when I consider just moments in a prison cell, this particular little moment, which might not be the moment that works for anybody else, but it really worked for me in this for, in this particular film is uh, one of the most powerful powerful moments in a in a movie that really understands. Uh, relationships in a prison cell. I, I have to say, most prison movies, like when I hear, heard you talking about Papillon, and, and I, like prison movies to me are kind of tedious because I don't want to go to prison, and I'm not sure that <laughs> I find <laughs> I, don't, I don't, you know, that's just not something I care to explore. That's, people go to prison, it sucks. I'm sure it's awful, whatever. Uh, but hunger is such a different take on that whole subject matter. Like, if you go into Hunger thinking you're going to watch a prison movie, you're, you're absolutely incorrect. It just happens to be set in a prison, but it takes such a different human approach to, to the issue, I, I think. And it is so theatrical, just in that it's, it's so, the, the dialogue is so incredibly written. And there's so, even parts without dialogue, by the way, that part is, like, the first third, if I'm not mistaken, Dingus, there's, there's a lot of scenes that have no dialogue. 
um, but they do some they do some great work establishing characters. Um, well, you know, Tom, that's that's an excellent point because uh, because both Papillon and this the 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 extended sequence in Papillon and in this are almost without dialogue. The, there's you know the the actual the uh, the the motto of the reclusion or the uh, or the solitary confinement that Papillon is in is silence. Silence. We, hmm. you are not allowed to speak, and and this extended opening sequence, and uh, it's not opening because there's more things that happen in the actual opening. But this this part of the first act is is almost without dialogue. You're ex- you're absolutely right, and and that it's really appealing to me in watching the relationships develop and what's going on with these men, and and it, and there's a lot that's going on that's disgusting, but um, but is so powerful for what's going on. And I, I like the way, I like what you said about if you go into this thinking you're watching a prison movie, you're wrong. And it's also, I, I also find kind of tedious movies about the, the troubles like that. I mean, that's such a, uh, I'm sure it's a hotbed issue for people in the UK and it means a lot, but I watch like Jim Sheridan movies about the struggles in Northern Ireland. And I just, that's about as I, I, I could just take a nap through that kind of stuff. But but this movie is such a different approach to that as well. Racist. Uh, <laughs> but the whole thing that Bobby Sands went through, that I mean, that it's just, you know, I, I think of, as a matter of fact, three incredibly powerful movies about the Troubles I've seen recently are uh, Sunday Bloody Sunday, uh, Hunger, and Five Minutes of Heaven. Um, I, I think we, like those right there, I, I think of movies about the whole thing with Northern Ireland being kind of tedious, kind of like prison movies. But those are three movies, and, and Hunger, chief among them, like well, not, well, just as good as the other ones. Uh, they're just three, just incredible movies about that situation now, uh, that do an end run around that whole oh, history lesson aspect of it. Well, it's because you you have such an understanding of 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 character and and not just main character, so that you start with this guy putting his hands in water and yeah. you're like why why is he doing that? And he's looking under his car. Why is he doing that? Why is his wife looking out the window? I, I get why he's doing that, but why is he doing that? And then you follow him, and then he leads you to another character. And and he's not just a cardboard character. I mean, you have a feeling of his depth. Yeah. And you have a feeling for him and a, and a, and a concern for him. And then and then you see him do things that are awful, but you... Then you, I mean, it's character. It's all character. Oh my! And I forget how he has a whole arc in the movie too. I'm just now remembering that as well. Right. Yeah. 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 Hunger's great. I I just can't recommend it enough. And it does things really that movies don't do. And I kind of wish they did more of. And it also like if if you're thinking of Michael Fassbender, Fassbinder, <laughs> as just the 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 funny guy from uh, in in not Intolerable Bastards. What are they? What kind of bastard? They're not inglorious bastards. <laughs> yeah, if you if you really want to see why Michael Fassbinder is a is a, a big deal, a huge deal, and he's great in Fish Tank, uh, but this is the movie where you're like, wow, that guy is just amazing. Um, you know, see Michael Fassbinder in Hunger. Yeah. Right. The potato famine. Why don't they just grow something else? Or fish. They're on an island. What the heck? <laughs> All right, good number one. Kelly Wand, you haven't seen Hunger. It might be too artsy for you, Kelly Wand. Well, it's about a hunger strike, right? 
uh, Hunger Striker, I think. Isn't it just Bobby Sands? Was there a whole movement? I think it was just him. But, yeah, I guess that is a hunger strike. You can have a strike even if, even if you're one dude, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Does that work, though? It did. Did hunger strikes work? <laughs> or does everyone just go, all right, whatever? Paging Dr. Gandhi. Yeah, this one uh, this one had quite an effect. Uh, specifically for the guy who did it. Yep. Hmm. Yeah. Did he, that, he, so what was the first thing he eats after the hunger strike? <laughs> well, you'll have to see the movie, won't you, Kelly Wand? Because that's oh, an interesting is question. <laughs> is it a cannibalism movie? <laughs> You're thinking of Alive. Oh, right. All right, runners up. Let's do runners up. None of you guys saw Law Abiding Man, that terrible thing. Uh-huh. Gerard Butler. There's some funny prison cell sequences in that, but you have to sit through the rest of the movie. Um, Zena Cell and Face Off ever? Nicolas Cage. I don't know. Do they go to prison in that movie? Yeah, I remember the, yeah. the boots. But I don't remember they, if there was anything in a cell. Do you remember what the prison is called? Nowhere. Air One. There you go. Good job, Tom. <laughs> nerd alert. Uh, none of you guys picked, speaking of nerd alert, none of you guys, aren't you guys big Stephen King, Frank Darabont fans? You guys didn't pick anything from Shawshank Redemption, some stirring moment in that? Eh. All right. Too gay, like an electric car, according to Vince Vaughn. For my for my whimsical moment, I almost picked uh, "You Ate Sand." What is that from? Is that from Raising Arizona? Yeah. You ate sand. <laughs> All right. Mm. I looked at uh, I looked at a couple moments that really didn't pan out. Burp. Um, but it didn't pan out. What were you thinking? Oh, this is a great prison scene moment, and then you watched it, and no. I was hoping that there was a good jail scene in um, Usual Suspects, but it's just a scene. Yeah, I was thinking about that, too. Does uh, does Benicio Del Toro do the joke about, give me the the MF and Keys cs Isn't Is that in the jail cell? That's That's in the lineup. Okay, yeah. That's not really a sell, is it? That wouldn't that wouldn't work. Okay. No, no, no. I was. Really Isn't the lineup a Chris O'Donnell movie? Like a romantic comedy. I think it's a Matthew McConaughey movie. Yeah. Ah, the rich man. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Kelly Wan, what were your runners up? Uh, I don't know. Nothing from Midnight Express. Well, Black Knight, but it was. I think it was a bathroom. So I don't know if that. Counts. Black Knight. Yeah, with Martin Lawrence. Oh. Wow, okay. Uh, here's, here's, a quote, here's a quote from uh, from another crappy one. You never studied. You never studied. Ghostbusters. Very good, Kelly Wand. Good Lord, how would you get Ghostbusters? Oh, for Pete's sake. Oh, you know, which one I almost said was Groundhog Day, speaking of Bill Murray. Ah, yeah. Because he goes into jail to see if he can escape by waking up like it's like when he's finding the perks also I found out in the original script of Groundhog Day is there for thousands of years remember you did mention yeah. that yeah yeah. I'm just going to keep mentioning it <laughs> uh, I it's almost like Groundhog Day <laughs> I almost tried to call something from blindness uh, because but I forget isn't that an actual oh. prison they get thrown into and I was specifically going to think of the moment where 
uh, after the the men have have picked out some of the women and sort of forced them to have sex in exchange for food, and when Julianne Moore finally takes the reins back, I think she's she's got a gun and she she screams out, you know, from now on every time we don't get food, we're going to kill one of your men. You know, blindness. I think it's set in a prison, if not literally, at least it's a facility used as a prison, uh, and it's this kind of parable about the brutality of human beings to each other, uh, and and. I, I wanted to try to make that work. I didn't get a chance to watch it this week, though. But there's there's one of my runners up. Is one of, one of the scenes from Blindness. Is it is I it a prison? Isn't it? I mean, they use it as a prison. All the people who go blind, they shut them into it. Is it not a prison? I could be wrong. I think it's like an old hospital or something. For all intents and purposes, it's a prison because the military surrounds them and locks them right. in there. Um, but I don't know if the, if the building previously was literally a prison. I I don't think so. Um, but it, but it has more dormitory sort of feel than right. feel, and you know the the problem is that I read the book after most recently I've read the book and I and I I haven't seen the film since that year and I really loved the film and and I read the book sort of with trepidation and I really liked the book too but I don't know if I can go back and watch it and I I really liked the the why movie. could you not go back and watch it it's beautiful. It's an incredibly shot. I mean, Fernando Mireas, however you say his name. I mean, the right. guy is just a fantastic filmmaker. It just looks amazing, and the sound in it. What, what's the matter? It's with gorgeous. You? It's absolutely gorgeous, and the performances are phenomenal. I mean, these are these are a couple of my favorite actors, but it just scares me. It just it it just fills me with dread, and and that's this is the same feeling I had when I was going to re- decide to read the book. Is that there's a the, the moment you just sort of referenced, it's hard to sort of face up to that, yeah. but but it's worth it. And so I'm sure I'll watch it again. It's just I have a certain amount of dread. Right. Kelly, Wand, have you seen Blindness? Uh, is that impossible? Gotcha. <laughs> uh, by the way, a lot of people really hated that. No, they didn't. Oh, Why? Okay. <laughs> uh, never mind. Uh, we just have some friends who I think didn't like it. Uh, actually, I don't know. Friends? If, uh, one or two. Yeah. Uh, I don't. I, don't, I mean, I don't. Did it really do? I'll bet if you were to go to Rotten Tomatoes, blindness would have like a eighty-seven <laughs> percent. Ebert didn't like it. So I believe Deathlock hated it. Uh, All right. Sorry, Ebert. So Kelly Wand. Also, what is, uh, no, go ahead. Killers. Uh, ah, very good, Kelly Wand. Julia Ooh. Lewis, Skagnetti nice. on Skagnetti. That's kind of good. Yeah, yeah. I hate to say, I don't know. Natural Born Killers is kind of lame, isn't it? <laughs> I can't imagine it holds up. Like back then, it was probably like, ooh, look how menacing Woody Harrelson is. Ooh, Oliver Stone is all bold. Ooh, this Quentin Tarantino. Wait, did Quentin Tarantino write that or no? I'm thinking of... Uh, he wrote it and got mad because yeah, he, he wrote Oliver it. Stone. Oh, okay. Twisted okay. it around and ruined it with his night at this imagery or something. I wanted to think of some some impromptu prison cells, like in space or or out to sea or something, and I couldn't I couldn't get my mind around them. Ice pirates with Robert Urich. So Kelly Wand, uh, at one Sundance, Dingus and I go to a movie. It's called Cargo, and oh, it's Jesus. about it's about people who stole away. <laughs> it's about people who stole away on uh, on ships. Uh, to come to, I guess, America or wherever, to come to more enlightened countries. And Peter Mullen is the captain of one of the ships. And the big reveal is that they're throwing some of these stowaways overboard. So afterwards, the director comes out for some Q&A. Dingus raises his hand. Uh-oh. You ready? Here was Dingus. <laughs> Here's Dingus' question for the cargo Q&A. Uh. Uh, I'm just curious, how, 
How far <laughs> How far from shore were you? Dingus <laughs> <person? laughs> wears the little uh, Papillon glasses. And he says, how far, how far from shore were you when you shot? Oh, my God. <laughs> that was Dingus's question. We just really? saw this movie about human trafficking with a Peter Mullen performance. Why would he give a shit about that? Because Dingus, that's what Dingus wanted to do. I think he even wrote it down in his little note-taking book. Was he kidding? Why would he care? That doesn't sound like Dingus. <laughs> Dingus, why he did you ask that question? Probably, yeah, that's a little out of character, I think. <laughs> well, part of it, I, to be fair to Dingus, I think what happens at a lot of these Sundance Q&A is that you get people asking the stupidest, most inane questions. Like that one. <laughs> no. Fair to no, let me tell you, that question right there is like Mensa-level quality compared to the kind of questions you get at the usual Q&A. So I think mm-hmm. Dingus was just in his own way trying to elevate the level of discourse. How, how far from shore were you when you shot? <laughs> wow. <laughs> so there you go. That's kind of like a... That's like a... You know, a stowaway. I don't feel so bad for not being Sundance yet. <laughs> Are we almost at the point where we move on to our next three by three? Our next three by three. So Dingus, I didn't. This oh. one was fine, but I, I had to do some homework on this one. I really had to think about this one. The one that I'm going to throw out there for next week. Next week, three by three. You guys are going to right off the bat probably know what your three answers are. However, there's going to be a little extra homework because here's what I want from you for next week. Next week's three by three are your three most. Uh, we'll just say your three favorite sound effects. Now, it's very straightforward because there's all kinds of sound effects, and I'm sure you're all thinking of a little lightsaber or whatever right now. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> but what I want from you is we're going to play the sound effects for people. So these don't necessarily have to be favorites, but just three notable sound effects, three sound effects that really mean something to you. Uh, and we're going to track down recordings of them, and we will be playing them during the podcast. Uh, so next week's three by three, just three favorite sound effects. Pretty straightforward. Any questions? MP3. Well, we'll worry about the technicalities of it over the course of the week. Basically, if you can find, well, we'll 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 handle that. Uh, but uh, yep. Uh, wow. Do do. No musical cues, by the way. These are not musical cues. These are sound effects. You know. Uh, I'm not even going to give you examples because I've already taken the lightsaber thing off the table from Dingus. So three three sound effects that aren't lightsabers starting up or clashing into each other or being waved through the air by Obi-Wan. I don't want to say anything because I'm going to get, I'm going to lose any of my possibilities, but oh, I'm going to I want to punch you. Well, come on over. Bring it. <laughs> that was so you're really butch. That was awesome. <laughs> The Bionic Man stuff from Machete was pretty funny. <laughs> Bionic Man is not a movie, but I guess if you were taking it from Machete... Then... Neither's Machete. <laughs> oh, good. All right, next uh-huh. week we will be seeing uh, Paranormal Activity 2 Yay! for our podcast. I'll probably uh, eat that, yay, in a week. But... I'll see. From the director of Door in the Floor, starring no one that we know, unless except for Katie Featherstone. That's all we know. We know nothing else. Uh, whoa, whoa, whoa. She's demon possessed. That's weird. Uh, we will also be doing our three by three, our three favorite sound effects. Uh, I am Tom Chick. I have been joined by Christian K- Kierslavsky. Mm. Right? Uh, Christian Kierslavsky. That makes me feel good. It's, uh, but it's Christian Morosky. <sighs> That's close. I knew it was something French. Uh, and Kelly Wand. Pazuzu uh, is technically a Lamia.
you enjoyed this podcast is over, take a number.